What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. This is Max. This is Joey. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about sin, that thing I've never done, and that thing that Joey's only done. <laughs> That's about all I do. <laughs> guys, we're going to be talking about sin in today's episode, just a general scope about what sin is, give some definitions, what the church has to say, and it's going to be a heavy episode, I got to say. Yeah, but it's going to be good because there's gonna good, be good news at the end of it. That's right. And in the midst of it. Sorry. Are you going to, because you know, we do these jokes where like we say one thing, we say another thing and then we, yeah, I'm sorry. You stopped midway. You got to complete that. Anyways, guys, it's been a while, but we're back and we got some things to catch up on. It's true. For those listening, for those watching, holla at you. What's up, Joey? Dude. Holla at him. Tell, tell him what's going on. Well, this is exciting because it's the first time we've been in the Logo studio in. It's been like three months, dude. Well, yes. Yeah, and the whole summer. I mean, longer than that since it would have been. Closer to four months. May, last Gosh. time we were here. So that's crazy. Yeah. So we're back on campus. We're here at school. Unfortunately, our our studio has been tampered with a bit. We don't know if it was the custodial staff here at our seminary or some guys messing with us. If they are messing with us, I just want to say it's a really bad joke. It's a bad joke because now I have to sit in this chair instead of stand at the desk. So guys, please pray for Joey <laughs> as he's uh, undergoing this conversion process of uh, sitting. Is are you going to be okay? It's a great penance be all right, at man. the moment. Um, well, it's funny, dude. A lot of our classes this semester are like seminar settings. so <laughs> It's a little awkward to have so a standing desk. So I can't desk. bring my standing desk. I got to just sit. Man. Can Anyways. you believe... <laughs> Joey has to do all this sitting. I mean, all the, well, I mean, what are we going to do? All the suffering. Anyways, though, what else is new? Well, I am, it's, we're like halfway through our first week of classes. And this is actually exciting because you and I are in all the same classes together, which has never been the case. Also, Joey's been out of the seminary education system for the last year, formally speaking. 16 months. For the last 16 months, a year, and then some. You know, it's weird though. It's like, I feel like I never left. As I was joking earlier, it's actually called trauma is what we call it. Being- I called it muscle memory. He was like, no, that's trauma. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's just weird because seminary, the flow of seminary life is so like structured. Yeah. And like once I got myself back into that, I found myself like unconsciously doing things that I just used to do all the time. It's like, wow, here I am again. So, but I'm excited to be back. There's our seminary. Our numbers are up this year in the seminary. Yeah, it's God. So like. The chapel is full and yeah. guys, it like, it sounds great when we sing. Joey's singing again. And I got to say, Joey, I actually missed your singing. That is very kind. I did. I did miss your singing. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's always those guys and girls, I'm sure across the world who you can tell are hitting the note a little flat. <laughs> and there are certainly those guys around me, but Joey particularly <laughs> is sounding all right. It's good though. Now, cause we have so many guys, yeah. if one person's singing poorly, you can't tell as much because it That's gets kind of drowned out with, yeah. whereas in the past when, when there were less guys, it's like if there was a guy singing poorly, you were like, or if there was a I guy singing you. too loudly, <laughs> yep. you could also tell or too fast or too slow. Or too slow. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, we pray the liturgy of the hours together every day. So morning prayer and evening prayer. And we do that in common in the seminary and we sing those. So yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> in the morning, a bunch of dudes who aren't quite awake yet. Sometimes that doesn't sound awesome. And sometimes it isn't singing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i'm other than that i'm good so how are you doing doing good joey i think you do have to tell i think you owe our listeners a little bit into your life as experienced in portugal that's true okay so wow it, it has been that long thank you for reminding me of that so the reason we haven't recorded logos podcast for the last month is because we're lazy but also because <laughs> that is partly true <laughs> but also because 
I was doing some, some traveling. So I got to go to, um, on vacation with my family for, we go to Northern Michigan. So that was great. We, we did that for a week. And then I got back from that and I went to, with the seminarians from my diocese, we went to Portugal That's right. to world youth day. And if anyone doesn't know what world youth day is, basically it's just a bunch of young Catholic people from around the world coming to a particular place to just be Catholic. <laughs> With all due respect to the Italian population, I heard that there were a lot of young Catholic zealous men shirtless. It's an Italian thing, I guess. All right. They're rambunctious. Rambunctious. But you know what I really, so first of all, so this, it took place in Lisbon, Portugal this year, which at first I was confused. I was like, why Lisbon? Yeah. But actually, the, it is such a cool city, beautiful architecture, yeah. it's tons of history. And it's an ancient, it's an ancient, ancient city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was so cool. The streets, so it was like World Youth Day lasted like Monday through Sunday. So it was sure. like almost a week. And the streets were flooded with pilgrims from all over the world. Mm. And I realized something about America. It's that we're weird because we don't sing and dance in public. Other countries do. So like these kids were like, everyone had instruments and like we, we land in Madrid in the airport. And the first thing that this group from Ecuador does, they get in this big circle and they start, they've got, they pull out their drums and their guitar and they're like playing music and singing, like glorifying God. And it was, at first I was like, this is a little weird. But then I realized I was weird for thinking it was weird because other, other countries and nations have these rich traditions and cultures. So that was so cool to see the climax of the event was mass with Pope Francis. So Pope Francis came mass was outside. We had spent the night. If you can imagine two million, 1.5 to 2 million pilgrims sleeping outside after a, so we did holy hour on Saturday night led by Pope Francis. He went home to sleep in his bed because, well, because he's 84. That's and, right. <laughs> and he's Peter. And he's also Peter. And we stayed out and slept under the stars. Aww. And I mean, didn't really sleep. It was incredibly uncomfortable. And like, I was just on the ground and it was, we watched under the stars. It was cold, but it was amazing because there are just all these pilgrims. And then we woke up and had mass with Pope Francis. Glory to God. And I, I'll say the highlight of the trip for me was that, you know, there are all these speakers and talks that we went to throughout the week. Yeah. And the first talk I went to was given by Chris Stefanik, who's mm. a popular Catholic speaker here in the States. And he began, he was tearing up. And he began his speech by reading a passage from the book of Revelation, Revelation 7, 9, where John says, and I saw a vision of a great multitude from every tribe and tongue and Mm. people and nation kneeling before the throne and before the lamb. And that is, that was my experience of World Youth Day. I mean, lest we think that the church is dying and, 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 um, weak, the, the church Maybe not in America, not in every part of America, but in many parts of the world, it's flourishing and seeing all the vibrant young Catholic people there was amazing. So it was, it was, it was awesome. Glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. I had the opportunity to go at one point. Um, but as, as y'all know, I'd been in Mexico for some time. Yeah. The, the, just the timing didn't work out in regards to us trying to record Joey going to Portugal, me possibly going to Portugal, deciding not to being at home. Anyways, it actually worked out really well because it also gave us a little bit of a break from the podcast kind of rhythm. Mm-hmm. That we you got had. some more rest like after I did. Mexico, which you I probably did. needed. Yeah, and that was a thing too. I was looking forward to just kind of relaxing some mm-hmm. and just being at home. And, and anyway, so it was great. Yeah, my, my summer wrapped up well. Nothing too crazy. Uh, I did get a new truck. Okay, so shout out to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, I actually traded in my old vehicle for it. I got some help from my dad and uh, and brought in some illegal substances from Mexico. And so that's the way I funded that vehicle. You got that vehicle. Well, we went, I, Max came to dinner for those of you who are listening to my house. Also, we're joking, no substances. Yeah, we don't or, need substances. Yeah, no, none of that. But he came to dinner and we had just released a couple of our, our new promo videos for our fundraising campaign that we've kind of started recently because we need some money to get through this next year of Logos and... My parents, we walk in the door and we're like, Joey, we saw you guys asking for money on Instagram today. And then Max rolls up in this new truck. I was like, I got to pay the bill somehow. You know, kidneys, only one kidney can be sold. And my other one, you know, can't be uh, parted with lest I die. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, we we, we do need money. (laughs) We do. What's up, everyone? Sorry to interrupt this episode, but Max and I, we've got a brief message for you. We're, we're looking at the next year of Logos Podcast and playing it out, and we've realized that we do need your help financially. We are excited about what we can bring to you in the future, but as seminarians, we just don't have the means to continue to fund this project on our own. So um, do you want to talk about the expenses we have? Or? Yeah, for sure. So what's up, guys? Max here. Yeah, just a few things to consider, right? So in your support to Logos Podcast, you don't only fund our Teslas, okay? You also help pay for our software um, updates, for our monthly subscriptions that we have on certain uh, softwares that we use. You also just help our overhead costs. I mean, batteries go out, lenses get messed up, microphones go haywire. And so any support you give us just helps us stay afloat, really. There's no profit to us, nothing goes to us. All is in one account dedicated to Logos Podcast and these things mentioned. And so, yeah, obviously with Joey here echoing the Logos Project always benefits from your prayers and there's no doubt about that, but obviously your financial support also would be of great help to us. So that's all I got. And we're praying for you. Um, and we're so grateful for your support over the past couple of years and are looking forward to the future of Logos Podcast. So as always, Am I supposed to God bless. We do. I always hate asking. I don't know if those Catholic listeners out there who have their own platforms or creatives out there or just anybody in general, if you have to self fundraise, it's difficult because you have yeah. to do your own thing. You know, you also got to take care of, you know, finances, yeah. taxes, all this stuff. But, but it's, it's never, it's never easy. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of, it's humbling in a certain way to have to admit that you need and then also to go out on a whim and, and ask right. people for, for right. things that they worked really hard for. So thank you for all that support yeah. there. People are generous. So thank you everyone yeah. so much for helping us because it's amazing. Cool. Anything else that we should say before we start talking about how much of a sinner I am? That's right. That's actually the reason I wanted to talk about this. Um, actually, uh, yeah, don't sin, I guess would be. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that, you know. But it's okay, yeah. So why are we talking about this topic? You know, it seems kind of uncanny. Well, we've been away for four months, and then y'all come back, or for four weeks, come back, Boom. sin. You know what it is. Hit We're going to down. <laughs> Knock them down further. Uh, you, well, you suggested this topic, so what inspired that? I think because... You know, I don't remember. I So I'd read Joseph Pieper. He had a book on sin before the semester ended. For those of you who don't know Joseph Pieper, check him out. Joseph Pieper. Joseph Pieper. I don't know. It's German, not French. So yes. I just said your French accent, not that. But anyways, he had a book on, on sin. And when I left the semester, and I hadn't really thought much about it, to be honest with you. And I was just sitting in the chapel, and I was just thinking to myself, like, how much of my own life 
I've denied the acceptance of maybe particular sins, yeah, smaller things even. Like I, I don't like to admit that I've done the thing or to call it out by its name. I like to say, well, I've done this. I've mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I, I didn't really do that, but I, I kind of yeah, did that. And I was like writing a list of like things that I need to work on this year. And and I was like, you know, I think this may be helpful for our listeners and for Joey especially uh, <laughs> <laughs> as we reflect on our own lives of like how, you know, different ways that we like to get out of sin or like to tell ourselves that we didn't sin. Or rationalize. Or rationalize. excuses. Right. Or maybe some of us that are listening don't even believe in sin that, or yeah. have even the most basic idea. Or maybe we have misconceptions about yeah. what sin is. And I see, I think part of it is to help inform mm-hmm. what sin is, um, also what it's not. And... uh kind of reflecting on my own life, which I hope to bring into some, to some extent on here of my own experiences of dealing with sins or some of the effects on it on my life. So that was some of the motivation. Yeah. And when you suggested it to me, I was immediately like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great idea. So I remember we had father Brett Brandon, who's been on this show before. Yeah. Great priest from, um, where's he from? Savannah, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. That's right. Georgia. He's (laughs) Georgia. Oh my mind! Oh, I just oh, I messed up. I was doing, and then I. Are you done? Is it? Yes, only because I don't know the rest <laughs> of the lyrics. Otherwise, <laughs> Father, he was leading us anyway. Father Brett Brennan was leading us in a spiritual conference one time here at the seminary, and he he said, "Fellas," I think this <laughs> southern accent, but he said, "Guys, there's two truths that like we can never wrap our minds around fully enough, and that we'll be continuing to discover throughout our lives." The first is how much God hates sin. Mm. And the second is how much God loves sinners. He says, we, we don't appreciate those enough. And, and the more you grow in union with God, the more and more you'll come to appreciate both of those realities. And I think, mm. you know, we're doing an episode on sin and some people will be like, oh, that's doom and gloom. Here's these Catholic guys trying to make me feel guilty for all this Throwing stuff. Throwing the Bible like, at us one more right? again. Yeah. So like know? fire and brimstone, all this stuff. And that's not that, you know, it's not our goal. Why are we talking about sin? Not because we want to focus on how weak people are. Or we don't want to condemn people. That's not what our Lord was about. He didn't come mm-hmm. to condemn the world, but we do need to know the reality of sin precisely so that we can experience the infinite mercy of God. Sure. Right. If we don't know the, the first letter of St. John, it says, if we say we are, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm. And that is the case. I think today, a lot of times in the church and a lot of times in certainly in popular culture, there is a tendency to try to forget about sin, like you were just saying, to try to not emphasize it enough because it doesn't make us feel good when we, when we have to talk about sin, when we have to confront our weaknesses and failures. But it's the paradox of the gospel. It's that precisely in encountering the truth of our sinfulness, that's the space in which we open ourselves up to receive the mercy of God who sure. can only heal us if in fact we're ready to admit that we need saving, if we need to be healed. Right? Yeah, and as Jerry's saying, we, we start to, which we'll talk about more here in a little bit, but we begin to recognize who we are and who our Father God is. I do think there are a couple of misconceptions surrounding sin that mm-hmm. we're going to try to break through a little bit. I think a lot of us think that sin is only a sin if it hurts somebody. Somebody? So what are we, if it hurts somebody. If somebody, it hurts yeah. someone, you know? So someone else in right. particular, right? Right, so, you know, I'm only sinning if I punch Joey in the face or I'm only sinning if I steal someone's car. Mm-hmm. Now they don't have a ride. That's that's what a sin is. So it's only that thing that hurts somebody else. I think there's also a common misconception that sins can only be qualified as sins 
if they're serious things. Yeah. So if I kill somebody, that's a sin. Mm-hmm. But if I detract, which means, which means if I gossip about somebody, even if it's true, speak poorly about speak someone poorly, else. Yeah. Even if it's true, then that's not a sin. So not killing somebody good. is a sin. Gossiping, detraction, is not a sin because I'm not really hurting anybody. Yeah, I'm not think around. I think you're so right, and I think you know? a lot of people fall into this. You know, the the virtue of just being a good person, right? Sure. Like that's what a lot of people. Thank you. Like, let's just all be nice. Let's just all be good people. You know, I might not be Mother Teresa, but I'm I'm definitely not Hitler. Like, so yeah. I'm good. Like, I'm probably. Mm-hmm. And but really, like, even if you're not doing, committing conspicuous sins like that, even if you're not, like, it doesn't really take that much to not murder someone else, right? Like, thank you for not <laughs> hitting the worst of humanity. You know, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah. How does that work? So, like, if we're honest with ourselves, and the deeper we dive into our hearts, the the more we're going to discover our own brokenness yeah. and our own, well, well, the sin that's within us. And but actually, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Actually, our Lord promised at the Last Supper to the apostles that He would send us an Advocate, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit would convict us with regard to sin and dwell within our hearts and dwell within our hearts. So, as painful as it is when you discover sin within yourself. That's actually evidence that the Holy Spirit is within you, mm. enlightening you to where you are broken, where you need God, where you need God's mercy, and that's actually that's actually the good news of the gospel. It's that, and I think the last misconception, yeah, is that, and I think this is maybe the biggest one actually, is that many people think that sin only deals with breaking the law, mm-hmm. which I think would be the the biggest misconception we're going to try to break through yep. in the larger compass of the episode, but I think there is a deep truth in what you just said, Joey, one that we are sinners. Yeah. Um, we're not here to tell you you're not because that would be a lie. We're not here to tell you that we are not, we are sinners. Well, Max is not, but, but the rest of the, but the rest of the world is <laughs> right. The rest of the, everybody. And especially, and me. especially so get that straight. Right now. <laughs> no, no, we are all, we are all sinners. Um, but that's not just to, to, to tell ourselves that we are so terrible and we should just whip ourselves or we should just do excruciating things and yeah. everything that is suffering or hard in life is because we're such terrible people. No, but it's actually um, that recognition helps us appreciate our own dignity because we're created in the image and likeness of God the Father, right? And so it's not as if admitting that truth that you're a sinner is hopeless. It's actually hopeful. There's a positive aspect to it. Um but if we don't admit that, then we also, I think, in large part, fail to meet one of the greatest faces of God, which is his mercy. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And sin, I mean, this is, I'm going to repeat what you said because it was so important. Sin is not just about breaking the law. So, so many people, when they think about sin, especially people I've found who have been raised not only Catholic, who have gone through Catholic school yeah. and have learned like the basics, they think that life is all about not breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. Like God is just this lawgiver up in heaven. And all he wants to do is like restrict our freedom, keep us from having fun, tell us what not to do. And sin is what happens when I break one of those rules. And then I feel guilty. Right. So that's actually, I mean, it's true that sin involves, and we'll get into this as we get into the definition, sin involves a disobedience to God, but really the tragedy of sin is that it's, it's the damaging of a relationship that God sure. is longing for with us. Yeah, and, and in the Bible, we have examples like the Pharisees or the tax collectors. 
Like we have this dynamic between mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this person broke the law. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Right. And he he calls he calls back to their hearts, to their intentions, to do these kinds of things. Yeah, that's a great image. And maybe we can conclude with this before getting into the definition of sin. Is that there's the the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, as you alluded to where that Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee, you know, the righteous man who knows the law, who knows all the commandments of God. And he comes into the temple and he says, I thank you, God, that I am not like those sinners over there, that I fast twice a week and that I follow all the precepts of the law, that I'm not like them. Mm -hmm. And then a tax collector comes in. A tax collector was like, I mean, it's equivalent of being like a prostitute or like a drug addict in today's society. It's like someone who was hated and, and um, known to be a sinner, you know, to the whole world. And the cheats ta- the system. Cheats, exactly. Yeah. And the tax collector comes into the, to the temple and he, he bows his head and he says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. And, and our Lord, after telling this parable, says that it's the, it's the tax collector who has really, he's got it. Mm-hmm. He's living in the truth and that truth is going to set him free, right? Because in his awareness of his own brokenness, his own sinfulness, that's when he's going to experience the mercy of God. The Pharisee who thinks that he's got it all figured out and doesn't have to worry about this sin stuff, he's actually closed his heart to God's mercy. So with that preliminary discussion, should we define sin if that's what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, I think it's important. And I also think it's important to keep in mind that there are varying definitions of sin. And so yeah. we're going to refer to the catechism as we do. Which itself gives many definitions. Exactly. Sin, yeah. And so, and there's a lot actually within the definitions. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try to kind of uh, illustrate or, or bring about some of the points that we thought were more important to emphasize within the definitions. And I want to start with um, the first definition that we find in the catechism in regards to sin. Uh, and it comes from paragraph 1849. And it reads this, sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. Boom. What do we think about that? I think first it's important that we recognize that this definition begins with the fact that it's an offense against against reason or yeah. truth or right conscience. Yeah. What does this mean? Well, I think we need to take a step back a little bit. I could, but I'm sitting We're, down, so I... So I think we should sit back a little bit. <laughs> How does this work? Yeah. Because also we have the back brace, so like we can't really yeah, sit back. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Okay, continue. Okay, sorry. sorry. I <laughs> um, we'll give a kind of more comprehensive account and what happens in Genesis when we see kind of sin into the humanity. But I think one of the things to keep in mind here is that we were created in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Well, one, it means that we're created by a being who who is creative, who has rational and relational capacity and has endowed us as human beings with the same, with a similar power. We can know and we can love. We can know and we can love. We can share in, again, reason or rationality and relationality and this ability, as Jerry said, to, to communicate, to commune and communicate and know truth. Okay. And sin, what is sin? Is it against, it's an offense against that very power. Yeah. It is contrary to truth. So that's one, I think important to, to highlight. Yeah. And could I just, I mean, God has created us and the entire universe in an ordered and intelligible way. Yeah. And God is the final end of everything that exists and especially of humanity and of the human heart. So 
everything, every good that we're seeking, everything that we desire is ultimately to be found in him. And he kind of organized us like that so that we, to lead us back to himself, right? Hey, can I just say something? The Holy Spirit's moving me to say this. Please. If you're listening to this episode and you get tired around this time, our Lord is telling me to tell you to push through. Boom. And I say that because I know within my own life, when sin is brought about, there's something in us that just doesn't want to move forward. Doesn't want to listen. But I'm telling you, our Lord wants you to know your worth. Sorry, Joey, go ahead. No, please. That, that's Thank you for doing that. Um, so God is our final end. And every... And he, and he created the world with supreme reason and wisdom and love. And we are called to participate in that. So like we are called to participate in that reason and wisdom and love yeah. and by our actions, by our lives, direct our hearts and our minds towards what is truly good and ultimately towards what is best, which is him. When we sin, what we're doing is turning away from that order, right? It's, it's, um, moving ourselves out of line with that beautiful and good and wise trajectory of our lives. That's supposed to be in harmony with all of creation orienting back towards God. Mm-hmm. And that's why, well, that's why problems come about when we sin. And that's why sin is tragic. That's ultimately what it is. And it's also not an accidental turning away from the trajectory that's that's ordered life. It's something that is not just, oh, crap, I did this thing. No, like you chose against that Mm -hmm. thing, which you know in your heart to be the case. Yeah. Um, Which I think takes us into the second portion into this paragraph. It's a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. So, you know, Aquinas talks about this uh, when he talks about truth. I can't remember what particular article or question, but he says that it's funny, the human mind and the human heart, because we think we know truth oftentimes, but we don't. We like to limit ourselves to the immediate good before us. Particular. The particular good, not recognizing a more universal good that encompasses that one little thing. It's because we're sensible creatures and and what's sensible is most immediate to us. And so we're easily distracted. And that sensation, that sensational power is a good thing because it allows us to navigate reality. We're hungry. We need to eat. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we want to play a sport. We need, we want to relax, whatever. Good. But our limitation isn't there, which we've talked a lot in our episode about, but I think it's important here, or I think it's um, emphatic in this definition that if we limit ourselves to that particular good, then we fail to see the larger scope of love. And in fact, we turn away from that love and truth and therefore affecting our relationship with God and with neighbor. Yeah, very well said. So to sin is to place our end in a creature rather than in the creator, Mm -hmm. right? So God is infinite goodness. And that's what we're made for. That's what we're made to worship. That's what we're made to be united to. And it may not even be a creature. It may be a created thing. It may just—that's what I mean by yeah, a creature. Yeah, enough, something that's enough. been created. Yeah. But everything that God has made is good. But He's made all those good things as a means by which we can ascend to our ultimate end, which mm-hmm. is union with Him. Right. So He gives me a body, which is good. And he gives me food and drink, which I can use to nourish myself so that I can continue to serve God and neighbor, glorify God. Right. But what happens when I take one of those good things that God has created to help me get to him? And instead of using it as a means to that end, I turn it into the end itself. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens instead of, if instead of using a donut for a means of nourishing my body and experiencing friendship and fraternity and experiencing pleasure and moderation, on my path towards glorifying God. What if, what if instead of that, 
I decide that my happiness consists in eating donuts, that that is my ultimate end. Then I'm going to quickly, I'm going to turn my back on God and I'm going to turn towards this creature, this created good, which in and of itself is good, but my disordered desire for it becomes sinful, right? And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to eat donut after donut after donut after donut. And then eventually, well, I'm going to, I'm going to become gluttonous. That's a sin, right? I'm turning my back on God. And then I'm also going to experience his negative, negative consequences as a result of that choice. And it, the, the sentence after that actually talks about that, that consequence, it wounds the nature of man Ah. and injures human solidarity, right? So wounds the nature of man. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because then we begin to see that sin isn't just a wrath, God, you know, God yelling at his creatures, you know, I, you know, I hate you or, you know, you, you stood against me. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of, it's almost a self-inflicted thing. Yeah. Like you are now turning away from this thing, which you know you're made for, Mm -hmm. and you know, you're not made for just this donut. You're made for much, much more, but yet you have vehemently chosen this way of life. Yeah. And so now your nature, which is again to know and to love, is slowly being wounded. Degraded. Degraded. Yeah. And then the second portion is it injures human solidarity. And I think this is important to keep in mind because sin is particular in the sense that we choose it, where it's an intentional act. But sin also affects the community. It's individual and communal. Exactly. So take the sin, a larger sin, I'll call it out, adultery. Mm-hmm. adultery, which we read in this scripture, when that happens, it affects a family because it means that there was a relationship that took place, an affair that took place outside of the wedlock. And that necessarily involves your wife or your husband, your kids and that person and that person's wife or husband or family. Yeah. Okay. That's, you're injuring human solidarity. And yourself. And yourself and those you love. And your relationship with God. Yeah. And so understand that sin doesn't have this theoretical effect. It it is is it is existent. And the gospel is affirming of the reality of sin. And even sins that seem incredibly personal and seem to not affect anyone else do affect everyone with which you associate and everyone with whom you're in communion, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say I eat a million donuts and I become sick. Well, first of all, I'm not going to be able to love my neighbor as well if I'm feeling terrible inside. But also in the very act of committing that sin of gluttony, I'm becoming a gluttonous person, hmm. right? I'm habituating myself into sin. And what that's going to do is make me more and more inclined to sin in the future, which is going to injure my relationships with others. So even though it seems like just eating a donut is only hurting me, it's actually ultimately going to hurt the community in which I live. You know what I'm reminded of? What? I'm reminded of St. Benedict's rule. As your boy. As my boy. (laughs) And the rule, he talks about, there's two different ways. One, he says, um, do not complain. Uh-huh. But he also says, do your work unbegrudgingly. And I apologize to my brother Benedictines and father Benedictines and sister Benedictines who are listening to this, but I believe it's two or three times St. Benedict says, upon complaining, that you are to be dismissed from the monastery. Mm. <laughs> that sounds pretty severe if you're yeah. asking me. You know, yeah. I've complained three times, I think, the last hour. Um, so I wouldn't make it in a, but my point being that like, well, it seems severe. Well, here's the thing. You complain a little bit then all of a sudden you're hooking others yep. into that same kind of cynical attitude. Yep. This person complains, that person complains. Oh, now we're all laughing at the same person or the same thing constantly to where now we failed to do our 
prayers well. We fare, we fail to do our work in all love, or or service in all love. And not only that, we begin to believe this lie. And what happens even more is that we begin to hate the very thing that was once a small complaint. Right, is now possessed. The it community. festers. Yeah. It festers. All I have to say, as you were mentioning earlier, there's a snowball effect oftentimes with sin that creeps up, which we'll talk about. This creeping up of sin mm-hmm. always happens. And then it becomes a big thing. Can I mention another example just because I think it's pretty pertinent to a lot of people's lives? Masturbation. Mm. Right? So a lot of people will say, I'm not hurting anybody in masturbation. Why is that wrong? I'm in my room. I'm I'm just in my room by myself. I'm not hurting anybody. Well, we could get into the fact that typically when you're masturbating, that's associated with pornography and that's taking advantage of the countless women and, um, you know, and, and all these different types of evils as well. You're objectifying them. You're, you're not treating them as persons to be loved, but objects to be used. But even if you're just in your room by yourself masturbating, you might think you're not hurting anybody else, but you are. How are you doing that? Well, you're becoming a person who is governed by your passions. You're becoming a person who's enslaved to your passions and no longer has control over your sexual desires in such a way that you can live in a chaste way. You're more than likely fantasizing about um, people in such a way that you're objectifying them. So you're training yourself, you're training your mind to use others as objects for your gratification rather than as persons to be loved. And all of that is a is a um, disordered use of the gift of your sexuality that you've been given to make your a gift of yourself to others one day. Mm. And so even if you, even if it seems that you're not hurting anybody else, you're hurting yourself. And because you're hurting yourself, you're hurting all those with whom you might one day associate, especially perhaps a potential spouse who you're going to be expected to love and That's lay right. down your life for rather mm. than use for your own selfish gratific- gratification. So um, that's all, all that to say sin is yes, in, intensely personal. It damages you and your relationship with God personally, but it also damages human solidarity, the community. Yeah. So I'll read the last sentence and to reiterate, and then we'll do one more definition of sin a little more quickly. And we'll go into kind of the narrative yeah. of sin yeah. here. Okay. So, it has been defined as an utterance, deed, or desire contrary to eternal law, which is what we mentioned. And you can go to an eternal law and natural law episode, mm-hmm. but it's, it goes contrary to the way that God's wired creation. Yeah, that God has ordered all things beautifully and well. Yeah. Sin is to act against that. Mm-hmm. Or desire. Mm-hmm. It's an act or desire or utterance, which I'd be interested to see what they define as utterance. Well, but, like a word. Okay. So that'd be like gossip. If I'm oh, okay, yeah, gossiping about my neighbor, that's that's me uttering or speaking against the mm-hmm. the... Well, the, well, charity, which is the order sure. that God, you know, established everything in. Cool. All right. Second definition comes from paragraph 1850. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Like the first sin, it is disobedience, a revolt against God through the will to become like God, knowing and determining good and evil. Sin is thus love of oneself, even to contempt of God. In mm. this proud self exaltation, a sin is dramatically opposed to obedience of Jesus, which achieves our salvation. Generally speaking here, and Joey, I know this is one of your big things, and I, and I agree mm-hmm. that, that this is the, the main crux of kind of the conversation. Namely, man has this tendency to want to make himself a God. Yeah. And he'll do anything to try to achieve that, mm-hmm. what he thinks is truth. Even to the extent, as it says here, of self-exalting oneself to turn away, to even contempt God. Mm-hmm. Love oneself so much that look at me. I'm the one. I am the Savior. Maybe we don't speak in those terms, but our lived reality 
shouts that. Or I am the center of the universe. I'm I am the, the center, center of reality. Right. I'm more important than others and than God. Mm-hmm. That is <laughs> the result of original sin, which we'll talk about here in a sec, is that we are naturally inclined to think according to those terms, right? Yeah. It's far easier for us to look out for our own interests. And we're in a certain way, biologically hardwired to do so as a result of evolution, um, to kind of have this survival instinct to only look out for ourselves. Sure. Right. But not trust anyone or anything, not trust anyone, especially God, not to depend on anyone. This is, this is the temptation really behind lurking behind all sin. It's to love ourselves more than we love God to sure. set ourselves up as gods, mm-hmm who are in charge of determining what is good and what is evil and who don't have to be subservient to anyone. That's what Satan said when he, in the scriptures, I will not serve. I will not serve. Yeah. The first line I think is important too. I think that's a great, uh, we need to emphasize that. Yeah. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Going back to our first definition here and just in general, ultimately sin is not just about breaking the law. There is a law that's broken, mm-hmm. natural law, eternal law. But there's also a relationship that's been either severed or wounded. A relationship with who? With your creator, with neighbor, with yeah. self. You've turned your heart away. We've turned our hearts away when we sin. It's, it's what we're doing. We've seen love. We recognize this thing to be true, and yet we decide otherwise. Yeah. Why? For our own sake. And that's, mm-hmm. a, cra- that's, a, that's a great irony with sin, it's like we know this to be the case or to not be the case, and yet we decide to move in that direction, knowing that at the finish line, it's not the effect we desired. Yeah, oftentimes. So you're, you're reaching for nothing. You see, you know, that's that great kind of depiction in Lord of the Rings, Gollum, with yeah. the ring. Yeah, You know, constantly reaching and trying to put it on you. Oh, you know. For that which you know is killing you, which right? you, It's hurting you. It's so much like you're willing to go into the end of a cliff to take the Lord of the Rings, yeah. you know. Uh, allegory here go to the end of the cliff into the pit of the fire for this ring that is nothing that you put on and it hurts you and that's a great point that i wanted to make at some point on this episode and now i'm going to make it it's that sin one time i went to see father john ricardo speak yeah and he talked about how you know in the christian tradition we have this notion that as a result of the fall human beings are enslaved to sin and to death and well, Satan until Christ's yeah. coming. But we're enslaved to sin. What does that mean? It means that sin is a power that without Christ's grace and without Christ's salvation literally takes control of us and causes us to do things that we would that we know we don't want to do, right? St. Paul says this in Romans, like, why do I do that which I hate? Yeah. Right? It's because this power is is possessing my members he says that that there's something in me this result ultimately is the result of uh, its original sin but but it's this thing within me that i that i hate and i can't control so like i want to love my wife and i want to be more patient and more kind to my children but i just find myself getting so angry with them all the time or i want to be moderate and temperate in my use of food and drink and like alcohol but i find myself overindulging or i want to not lust after women but i find myself doing it over and over again it's like we we know we so often know what's good for us we know what god is asking us to do but because we're enslaved to sin um we find ourselves unable to truly do what is good. And that's why Christ came. He came to give us his grace and to set us free. And and I just want to also speak about that conviction positively. Yeah, please. In a sense, because like conviction is not always a bad thing. Yeah. Pope John Paul II emphasized this, and I think Divis in Misericordia. Great document. Right? 
he talks about the fact that like conviction isn't always a negative thing. We think if somebody says something and it hurts us, or we think if somebody says something and somehow there's something stirs up and there's anxiety built that it's a, it's a, you know, immediately to be rejected kind of thing. But that's not true. Our Lord has wired us for truth and made us for communion. Yeah. And when that's wounded, we should have a reaction against that thing. Yeah. We should have, we should be appalled when we see an evil, mm-hmm. either in ourselves or somebody else. There should be something in us. In fact, you would be, we would say, categorically insane if you weren't sensitive to an injustice being done. Yeah. And so there's something in us that's, as Joey is saying, like, yes, we're just because we're not all made for to be just kind of almost living a kind of a schizophrenic, I don't know if that's a proper psychological term, but this kind of reality where conviction is always where we should live. No, the Christian life isn't just telling you to be always guilty and feel always guilty. No. Scrupulosity is also a sin. Yeah, that's right? right. So to be constantly thinking everything I do is wrong, that's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that conviction is a good thing too. Yeah. Don't just undermine it because you feel a little mm-hmm. hurt, which we all have felt, I think, to some extent, but rather acknowledge that as a potentially. Good so I thing. want to tell a story to kind of hopefully, I think it's a pretty good depiction of everything we just talked about. And then we can move into cool. Genesis, which is the kind of the, the, the paradigm, the, the model of, of, all, of all sin, um, which is so helpful. Um, when I was little, probably, I don't know, four or five years old, my dad was making pancakes and he was making it on this griddle. And does your dad make good pancakes? First of all, he does. Now I can't have them because I can't eat gluten now. That's true. But in the day, back in the back yonder, back, back in the day. But anyway, he was making these pancakes and the griddle obviously is very hot. And I went to touch the griddle and my dad was like, Joey, don't touch that. You'll burn your finger. So my dad was giving me a commandment, right? He was giving me a rule to obey. Not because he just wanted to give me a rule so that he, because he was power hungry or something, but because he loved me and he didn't want me to be hurt. Mm. Well, little five-year-old Joey, I looked up at my dad, listened to him and I went, okay. And I just touched that Classic griddle anyway, move, dude. dude. Classic. And obviously my finger hurt. Like I had a big <laughs> blister. I burned my finger. Yeah. And my dad, I've heard him reflect on this about how amazed he was that I actually did that. It was this, it was the sinner in me, like manifesting itself at a very young age. But what's funny is that, you know, my dad became upset, not like mad, angry, but like upset that now his son was hurt. Yeah. Right. And so I found myself. And also probably upset that his pancakes were probably going to be burnt <laughs> because I has to tip Joey's, Joey's finger. Yeah, <laughs> freaking pancakes are now gone to crap. So here's there's that too. <laughs> so, so here I am in this position with now my dad's upset with me because I disobeyed him and my finger hurts. Yeah. This is where so many of us find ourselves in the world. Mm. I'm in pain. I'm broken. And my father's upset with me because I've disobeyed him. I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide. Right. So, but what did my dad actually do? My dad actually, like he got me a band aid, and like, he like, you know, he was a little frustrated at first that I disobeyed him, but then he like comforted me mm. and our heavenly father, who's infinitely more merciful than any human parent. He's not actually, he's grieved that you've sinned, but he's not grieved because he hates you or because you've hurt him somehow or because you've hurt him. You haven't. He's grieved because you've hurt yourself. Mm. He's grieved because your finger is burnt. Right. And he's going to, he's longing for you to turn to him and say, I'm sorry. And I realize that my finger is burnt and it's because of the choice that I made so that he can come and give you the band aid, so that he can come and shower you with his infinite mercy. Mm. Um, 
And I think that's just, that's a helpful way to think about sin. It's not just like, oh, my dad's pissed at me because I didn't do what he commanded me. Yeah. My dad only commanded me anything because he loved me. For your well-being. Exactly. Yeah. So. And I think that's important as we enter this portion of the discussion. Oftentimes, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the misconception is that sin is that which breaks some sort of law. Mm-hmm. There's a song by... um by Alan Stone. I don't know if you know the the artist. He, I think the the song is, I can't remember the title of the song, but the lyrics go something like, who made up these rules? Uh-huh. You know? Like uh, doing rights and doing wrongs. Right. You know? That question. It's like, As if it were all just, yeah. Yeah, who made up these rules? We don't have to live by these arbitrary, mm-hmm. weird societal and whatever psychological rules. But I think, it, think it's important to to enter the discussion with the perspective, not so much that we're breaking rules again, but rather that it's about a relationship that we were created by a creator who loves us so much so that he wants us to make us participators in his life. Yeah. And that sin again, wounds that relationship. And interestingly enough, if you read Genesis in that perspective, or at least one of the two creation accounts in that perspective, you begin to, to be able to savor, that pattern, I think, a little more. And I also think, interesting, Jordan Peterson has capitalized on this. Yeah. I have to say, you know. Should we read it? I actually, I have it here. Sure. Do it. Um, So we're going to just go through Genesis 3, um, which is the account of of the fall, and just kind of break it down because, A, it's the word of God, so it always enlightens our minds and our hearts, but also it's so instructive for teaching us about sin and about ourselves and about our own hearts and to help us steal ourselves against the the wiles of, of the evil one. So this is Genesis three. It says, and Max, stop me. If you want to make a comment or anything, sure. we'll go through it. It says, now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals. All right, stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I know it's funny, but there is more, most cunning or more, most subtle sometimes used. Yeah. Subtle. We mentioned earlier mm-hmm. how it's funny how sin creeps up. Yeah. I think it's one of the first things to keep in mind. Sin creeps up. Yeah. The evil one is, he's incredibly more intelligent, like infinitely more intelligent than us because he's an angel. What's that, what's that Psalm verse? He, he lurks like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. Yeah, that's right. But the setting is a night setting. There's, 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 you don't see, Mm -hmm. but he's prowling, seeking for the right time. So yeah, that's why, that's why, by the way, Jesus is always like, be vigilant, like be watchful because, (laughs) because there is a creature in this universe who doesn't sleep, who doesn't eat. He's a stay woke. And just hates you and wants you to go to hell. He does. Yeah, exactly. He does not want you to go to hell. (laughs) That was a very serious point I was making there and you were just like joking about it. it Anyways though, now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, did God really say you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? I know you have something to say. I have something to say. Ratzinger, in this book that you and I both both recently read, but also other authors, The Divine Project, by the way, it's called. It's it's a great book. He points out the fact that when this the Satan Satan is so sly, he's so subtle and cunning, like you said, he doesn't just come out and say, You should disobey God. Yo, eat that tree, eat that tree fruit over there, yo. (laughs) That's not what he says, because if it if he were that explicit, we'd be able to detect him and reject him, theoretically. Mm. At least Eve would have. Instead, he just asks a seemingly innocent question. Like, did God really say you can't eat of any? And he doesn't even ask. He knows what he's doing because God just told him not to eat from the one tree, right? But he says, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? He's also asking a rhetorical question. Yeah. 
they really say that? Right. And, and he's, he's like, like yeah. and he, what he's wanting Eve to do is to, um, focus too much on the restrictions that God is placing on her freedom. Right. Mm. He's wondering, did God really tell you you couldn't do anything? Well, no, that's not what God told me. But, he, but he just starts with that subtle question. Yeah. A lot of times when we're, when we're experiencing temptation, when the evil one's trying to tempt us into sin, he uses similar tactics. Mm. Um, like did God, did God really say it would be wrong to, I don't know, mm. like drink alcohol at all? Like, you know, something like yeah. that, you know, like, um, and sometimes it may not be the Bible specifically. This is the thing that's important. When we talk about faith here, we talk about faith in the lived reality. That's not just the Bible saying, don't do this. It's also, so when we're talking about morality, we're also talking about maybe your parents yeah, have told you, yeah, that's don't right. do this. Maybe your grandmother, maybe a friend, hey, don't do this. Well, you know, my friend told me this, but I've seen my friend do this other thing. Right. And so my thing is not as bad or maybe equal to. And therefore, I don't really have to listen to him or her. Yeah. This kind of thing. So Satan sows the seeds of doubt, right? So did God really say this? And then the woman answered the snake, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it or else you will die. What's interesting is that when God earlier in in scripture had given them the commandment not to eat, he didn't say anything about touching the tree. Hmm. But Eve has already started to fixate on this restriction that God has placed on her freedom. So now she's already saying, you know, what God did tell me not to eat of that tree. And he told me not even to touch it either, which he didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So she's lying. She's a lie. Right. So she's already, um, as the devil is sowing seeds of doubt that the father loves her and has given her commandment for her own good. She's already started to think to herself, you know what? God is restricting my freedom. There's an attachment to perverse goods. Yes. Right. right? You've seen this. Oh, well, this thing does seem quite interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. So here Satan launches his full frontal attack, right? He is the liar. Mm. This is what scripture calls him, the liar, the deceiver. And here he does say, you certainly will not die, right? So he doesn't begin with his explicit full frontal mm-hmm. attack. He begins by subtly sowing these seeds of doubt in our hearts that the Father loves us. He wants us to doubt that the Father loves us. Because your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That's a great promise. That's right. I should say that lie, but exactly. that's, that's a promise he's quote unquote saying. Again, going to, which we'll see at the end of this narrative, is a great lie. It's not, in fact... Being like God. Yeah, that we, he's, yeah. he's saying you don't need God, which is a lie. He's saying God doesn't love you, which is the lie. He's saying, he's saying if you reject God, if you throw off the commandments that he's placed on you, then you'll experience freedom. True. Then you'll experience divinity, right? Then you'll truly be alive. Yeah. Which, of course, is the greatest lie of all. He says you certainly will not die. God knows well. Oh, yeah, I already read that part. So the woman, now the woman looked at the tree. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What a weak man. Right. So this is the great sin of Adam Mm -hmm. is that he was called to protect his wife. He was placed in the garden to guard and to keep it. Scripture says to till and to keep it. It's often translated in English, but it's actually to guard it, mm-hmm. right? So he was supposed to protect the garden and his wife. 
to lay down his life if necessary to protect the garden and his wife. But here he is just hanging out next to Eve. She enters into dialogue with the evil one herself, and he doesn't say anything. Doesn't question the fruit. Doesn't question the you know Eve's uh, you know achievement of this fruit. He just Nothing. passively sits there and takes right. it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. I think that's probably sufficient. Sure. I want to point out that Eve saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom, right? So she was attracted to something that in and of itself was good, right? So when we sin, we only ever do anything because it appears good to us. We only ever do anything because... There is an element of goodness in anything that exists because God created everything good, right? Goodness so, here being equivalent to desirable. We exactly, desire to think yeah. goodness. Yeah. So when I commit adultery, for example, I'm not doing that because I want to I want to hate my wife, because I want to cause division within my marriage. I'm pursuing a good that I perceive, which is the pleasure of this of this fornication with this woman who's not my wife, right? So our hearts are always ordered to goods, but when they're disordered to the wrong goods rather than to the highest good, mm. that's when we sin. So Eve was attracted to this fruit because it was in fact good. It was pleasing to the eyes. It was, it tasted good and it was good for gaining a certain sort of wisdom. And so she was drawn to that, but in being drawn to that, in turning herself towards this created good rather than the uncreated good, who is God, her father, she turns away from the one who loves her and ends up demeaning her own dignity. Mm. And I think, that last line that ultimately that's what sin is seeking to do. There's a great lie of Satan saying, you will be like God. You will know good from evil. But all the while in the background, what Satan really wants to do is to destroy you because you are actually like God and Satan could never be like God. That's true. And so there's just like, oh, you'll be all right. Not only will, you know, you'll be like him. He told you this, but you will not die, I promise. Mm-hmm. And that's where sin and death enter the equation. And what immediately happens, they're na- so before this took place, Adam and Eve, they were naked and without shame. They were totally themselves. They were utterly free as children of God, walking mm-hmm. in the garden in friendship with him and with each other. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, that they've sinned, that they've turned their back on their creator— now fear enters in ah, to the equation for the first I time. I didn't catch that this time around. Right? So now they're afraid. They're ashamed. They hide themselves yeah. behind clothing. Because now what happens when we sin is that our image of God becomes distorted. We no longer are able... The image s- of ourselves. And our image of ourselves becomes distorted, right. right? So we're no longer able to look at God as a loving father who only wants our good. Now we see him as this judge, as this person who's condemning us. And so we hide from him in fear. And we feel ashamed. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve do. And then their relationships with each other is also damaged after this too. So now they look at each other and it goes on. The, the ultimate punishment, quote unquote, for sin that God gives to them is that at like the woman will desire her husband and he will dominate her, right? So like lust and discord enter into the relationships between humanity, between one person and another. And all of this is a result of not trusting that God loves us. You remember uh, our Theology of the Body episode with Dr. Ignatic? Yeah. We talked about original unity, right? So we were created for community at first because we were again created in the image and likeness of God. But then when sin enters the equation, all of a sudden that unity, which is intentional and known and responsible for for creation is now damaged and now there's solitude 
we see that wait 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 what happened oh let me put this thing on i where's my wife what what yeah where's my you know and um but i think what you're saying is right we see god as the one who is now trying to set us apart from everyone and everything rather rather than the one who's trying to bring us into his life and into our own identity and this is um this is the beautiful point that ratzinger makes is that the irony of all this is that you know, we say that the sin of Adam and Eve is that they wanted to become like God, right? But actually, Ratzinger says the irony is that their desire to become like God was not sinful. They were actually created to become like God. They were created to share in his uh, life. But they, they were created to become like God, not after the pattern of the Father who creates everything and determines everything for himself. They were created to become like God after the pattern of the Son, Huh. As children who receive everything that they are from the Father. Beautiful. That's the path for man to become divine. It's through becoming like a child, through becoming like a son, which is why that it's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is the one who became incarnate to save us and to teach us how to reach union with God. It's only through becoming children, unless you turn and become like a child and receive and trust in the Heavenly Father, that you can receive the kingdom of heaven, that you become like God. Hmm. So that's, um, that's what we're giving up on when we sin. Yeah. We're trying to be like God, the father, instead of being like God, the son. I do want to highlight this last thing as we kind of enter the, the last portion of our conversation and just highlight what we saw in this narrative. So right. So there's a pattern here, right? That we want to, yeah, that we want There's a pattern to most sins and the way that the evil one works in our lives. And the reason I want to highlight this, cause we've already kind of highlighted it, but the reason I just want to emphasize it is because Maybe you in your own life are struggling with maybe a particular sin mm-hmm. or don't know how to find it. Maybe our consciences, as we say, are not as formed as a catechism implies. Yeah. Maybe nobody's ever told us anything. And so we're here to kind of give you maybe a sort of framework to to um, to look into your own life and, and reflect a little bit. And then we get this from, um, what is it, The Theology of Christian Perfection? Great book. Great book. I By, we have it right here. Oh, there it is. It's some yeah, it's, a, it's a big son of a gun. I got to say, look at this. Look at this thickness right here. An- thick. Antonio Royo. Royo. Royo is what they call him. Royo. Royo. OP. OP, Dominican. Shout out Dominicans. Yeah, shout out. And in the book, he uh, he highlights kind of the, the pattern of sin. And so I'm just going to run through it real quick. First, Satan approaches. The demonic approaches. The evil mm-hmm. approaches. Subtle approach. Yeah. Which I stopped Joey after four words of mentioning. Yeah. Subtle approach. Or what was the word you used? Um, it wasn't explicit, right? It's, right. it's he's cunning. He's cunning. Cunning. That's a yeah. word. Cunning. Uh, subtle approach. There's a response. Well, first there's a little bit of a pondering. There's a pondering. Wait, what? Hmm. Response. Why the heck is Eve talking to a serpent? Mm-hmm. I've always wondered that. Why is she talking to this creature? Let's think about that. Like, uh, so there's an approach. Your friends come to you and you're like, hey, um, like we're, we're drink, we're going to get a drink like going to get drunk later. Like yeah. we're going to go out and that. drink, come with us. So there's the approach. It's like, Oh, my friends are, it's my friends. That's kind of appealing. My friends. Yeah. Yeah. And Satan's like, go do it. It's, you you got to be with your friends. Right. Yeah. Why am I entertaining this? Yeah. But no, so that's, so that's Eve's first mistake, yeah. right? Is that she enters into dialogue with the serpent. She's engaged in the conversation. Yeah. As Joey was saying, all of a sudden, all the possible, all the possibilities start you know, flourishing in her mind. And then there's an invitation. In this particular instance, the servant invites one to consent to 
a promise or to actually disobey something, telling them that actually God's lying to you. Yeah. God doesn't want you to be like him. God, you know, wants to, you know, doesn't want to want you to know anything. Yeah, like, I don't know if I'm really supposed to go get drunk and your friends are like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's fun. It's what everyone does. Yeah. It's like, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And then there's the vacillation or the doubt. Should I? Should I not? Uh, well, that's a good idea, guys. Or you know what? I've wanted a drink anyways. Right. And they're just new beer, you know? And they are my friends after all. It's cool. Let's do it. Right. So before you entered this conversation, you never would have thought about going to get drunk. Nope. But now that you've entered in the conversation, you've allowed this this temptation to kind of fester and to like take root in your heart. You now you're justify. Now you're going back and forth and you're like, oh, well, I could see these potential good reasons for doing this, right? To preserve my friendship, to build up a social life, build up a social yeah. life. Right. And I don't want to just be the loner in my room here on campus. So yeah. uh, maybe I should. Yeah, I'm good at Fortnite, but I can also. Yeah. You know. That's right. But then there's a consent, and this is the important part. Mm-hmm. You've now doubted, you've now considered it, you've chosen. This is the next step. That's the next step consent. in this pattern. And that is really where sin then becomes a sin. Because you've now, there's a turning of, again, away, there's a turning of the heart away from the good you ought to be doing and towards a thing that you should not be. Yeah. You've now willed, you've desired, you said yes to this thing, you've mm-hmm. consented, and you've succumbed to the temptation. Your soul has now turned towards it, and the sin has now been committed. And then, and this is what I found very interesting when I read Royo, there's a disillusion afterwards. <laughs> it's called a hangover. It's called, it's called a hangover. For real, dude. Yeah. It's called a hangover. It's called um, having an argument with your parents. Yeah having to confront the fact that you've not only drank, you've also done other things you should not have been involved mm-hmm. in. Maybe drugs showed up. Because once you party. started drinking, you weren't really in control of yourself. Maybe you you're a young kid. That. You don't even know what drinking means. Yeah. You don't even know how to control yourself. You're going to keep taking shots and shots and not knowing that seven minutes later, you're going to be on the floor puking right. with people taking pictures and all this stuff. And now, you know, it's the end of the world for a high school, right? But there's a disillusion. And the disillusionment is in part, you wake up and you think that God's mad at you because you broke the law, you broke the commandment, but really God's grieved because you yourself have hurt yourself, right? And there's also disillusionment because the friends you thought you were, were going to be your friends and you were going to grow in friendship with actually are now making fun of you. That's right. Actually now, maybe you're included into the conversation for a little bit until other things keep being invited. And now there's fear. Now right? there's fear. Now, now you have to hide anxiety. from your family. Yep. Now you have to lie to your parents. Cover up your mistakes. Exactly. Or maybe to go to another party, you have to do this thing or that thing or sneak out or whatever. Yep. But there's an illusionment, disillusionment. The reality of what was suggested to you does not match what was suggested. Yeah. You were promised this and that's not what's happening. You realize you were fooled and you feel like a fool. Yeah. So that's usually how sin plays itself out in our lives. Which is, um, it's good to know, um, but it's not really helpful if you can't do anything about it, right? So all of us are going to find ourselves in this position where the tempter is bringing things to us. We can cut it off at its source by not even listening, not even engaging in conversation with them, yeah. not even entering into dialogue with the serpent. That is the best and most sure way to avoid, you know, uh, problems is just cutting it off at its source. See you later. Um, but we're going to be confronted with these things throughout our lives. And we're also going to sin because we're sinners. And I'm not, but the, except for Max. Right. But the process of the Christian life is a process of conversion towards greater and greater perfection and union with God until the end of our lives. Please, yeah. God, when we reach heaven. So what are some, we, we figured we'd 
having talked about sin, about the tragedy that it is, about the fact that it grieves God, not because just because you're disobeying him, but because you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your relationship with others. Um, and he loves you infinitely. Having talked about all this, let's finish, let's conclude with just some practical tips for like fighting against sin, this reality that is real, that we need to recognize in our lives, that will open us up to the mercy of God if we accept is real in our hearts, but what can we do to fight against it? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No. And as always, God bless. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you're done. I don't know what to tell you. I've been trying this thing for a while. (laughs) Well, first, it's important to acknowledge here and to recognize that the only way that we're going to have a conversion in our heart is by the grace of God. Yep. We have to acknowledge that the way that God's love enters into our heart is actually by God's design, by God desiring that for us. And he does. And the way he does that is different and to varying degrees and all this stuff. But I think first in grace, grace is the, is the first way we Right. So that's built. important. Salvation, being rescued from sin. It's not something that you do. It's something that's done to you by God. Mm-hmm. He gives you his grace. He pours out his mercy upon you. So the first step to fighting sin is really just to dispose yourself to receiving that grace as much as possible, which means prayer, begging God for help. It means the sacraments. It means receiving his love and his mercy in confession and in the Eucharist. That's like, without those things, you're helpless. You will, like, you will not be successful without those things. (laughs) So starter, boom, foundational, you absolutely essential, but maybe you struggle with something like gossip. Maybe you're not out there Mm -hmm. doing something crazy. Maybe you are gossiping. What do you do? Well, I mean, some suggestions more practical and these are non-exhaustive by the way. Yeah. Just kind of laying out examples up there. Maybe you talk charitable about others. Right. So this is, this is a good suggestion right. because often spiritual masters will say, if you're struggling with certain vice or a certain sin, combat it by practicing its opposing virtue, mm-hmm. right? So if you're struggling with like, you're always just inclined to gossip, like you said, talk bad about others, force yourself to talk charitably about somebody who you want to gossip about. Yeah. Like praise them, affirm them to others, right? Yeah. Or to themselves. Or maybe recognize something that you could, yeah, affirm them. And maybe, you know, there was this guy at the lunch table, fell over, all his food was all over the ground, got ketchup slapped on his forehead. That's hilarious. Was it Sam? <laughs> because he doesn't have his legs. So it's kind of, it's kind of hard <laughs> it's to, it's you know, it's kind of hard to laugh at the guy when. Sorry, sorry, you know, sorry, sorry. Okay. But no, maybe you could say, well, actually, he didn't, you know, he tripped over something that somebody out laid out. And so I try to help, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. talk charitable, build a person up. Or yeah. or you could simply shut up. Just not say anything. Just, just you know, that's actually what I'm having to work on. Just shut up. Like, if gossip hey, Max, and complaining sh- or anything, just don't say yeah, anything. Yeah, just, it's, it's a good option, actually. Yeah. Cool. Maybe you struggle with lust. This is a big one. A lot of people struggle with this to, to varying degrees again. Maybe contemplate something beautiful. I know in my own life, a practice I have is I have images all over. Mm-hmm. I love art. It really has helped me. And I truly believe that our blessed mother has shown me her love in and through some of the images that I now possess of her Yeah, and purify my heart and my memory and all of these things. And that's big. Father Brandon, again, used to say, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? So mm-hmm. if we, if our minds are filled with bad things, bad thoughts, and we're tempted to dwell on them and kind of lust after them, we can't just fool ourselves by thinking, okay, I'm just not going to think about that stuff. See you like, later. We can't just like try to empty our minds because it's just going to keep getting filled back up. So instead of just trying to empty your mind, fill your mind with really good and beautiful things like right. an image of the blessed mother, like beautiful art, like beautiful music, mm-hmm. right? Like real uplifting stuff that's good for the soul. Or maybe you stay away from something. Right? So there's like the positive side. You could do this. You can also stray away from 
being on Instagram all the time yeah. and checking out that one girl or there are two girls or that three or those three dudes or, or that, guys for the girls you know exactly for you know so like maybe you stay away from certain social medias or or whatever yeah cool mortification it's That's a traditional a it is mortification dying to self yeah this is a traditional kind of form of penance within the church the times that I've done it it is hard but it's also like the times that I'm most engaged. Mm-hmm. It feels like the times I'm most engaged in my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Because like I have to be very intentional. I'm not doing this. I'm avoiding that. I don't know about you, but my personal life, I, I try not to do something repetitively. Because then it just becomes clockwork again. Mm. I try to do different things. Maybe I'll switch it up a week. Maybe I'll switch it up in a couple of oh, weeks. Oh, yeah, with like practice of mortification. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And maybe I'm not going to eat that brownie. Or maybe I'm going to skip this meal. Or maybe I'm not going to have a sweet juice, which... I love sweet sugary drinks, but mortification. Yeah. So this is, by the way, this is, um, a ceases it's called in the Mm -hmm. Christian tradition too, which literally means training. So we cooperating with God's grace and relying on God's grace, we can actually train ourselves, our passions, particular passions, right? Sometimes by denying ourselves, even good things like the extra brownie or, um, like the snack between meals or, you know, whatever it may be. By denying ourselves things that are good and practicing this mortification, putting our wills ourselves to death in that sense, putting the old man to death, we actually become strengthened with the help of God's grace to avoid the things that are actually destructive towards us, like sin, yeah. right? So that steals us to be able to say when the tempter comes and asks us to enter into dialogue with him, because we can say no to a brownie, like we're more ready to be able to say like, no, I'm not even going to look there. Like we train that muscle so that we can more readily um, follow our right reason, which tells us not to do something that's going to be destructive. Yeah, somebody offers you a donut and you're trying to fast, punch him in the freaking face, Put him dude. in the throat, dude. dude. <laughs> Chokehold him, get him to the ground, dude. Right there. <laughs> no, okay, all right, all right. A couple more examples, and we'll let y'all go. Divine study. Yeah. So a lot of us, and this has actually been a purify, a purifying process for me. Yeah, that's right. Purifying positive for me since I've been in seminary because guess what? I hated reading growing up. Yeah. And I lied about my summer readings. <laughs> Spark nose, baby. Spark nose, baby. See, I didn't know about Sometimes not even that. You know? Sometimes not even that. <laughs> but, you know, I got to seminary and I was like, oh, you got to read this. You got to read this. And you're yeah. like, oh, when is it going to end? And then it doesn't. And then not only that, I began to love it. Mm-hmm. Because there's a purification of the mind, I think. It a does. purification of my heart. I begin to actually not only know a little bit of truth, but I begin to actually desire to be in union with it, which I found out was not just concepts, as we talked about, actually a person. Yep. It's Jesus Christ showing us him, revealing to us his own heart and mind. It's and so true. Maybe you're stuck in falsehood. Maybe you've been living in all sorts of lies. Maybe you've been living some sort of life. Enter into what, I, what I'm calling here divine study. That could mean a good book, a wholesome book, a scriptures, goodness, scriptures, some sort of prayer, spiritual reading, spiritual reading, these kinds like of things. That. Yeah, sure. It, sure. it honestly, it's 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 an essential part of any serious Christian life. Yeah, for these reasons, for these reasons, and more, I'm sure. Yeah, but that's it, guys. That's all I have, Joey. Any last remarks before? Only that that was sin. a really good episode, and I liked doing it, and I um. We should all pray for each other because we're all sinners. Yeah. And um, just want to emphasize as much as we're encouraging you to try to recognize the sin within your heart, that's not to condemn you. That is to open you up ultimately to the one who loves you more than you can possibly fathom. 
and who is not deterred by your sins, but where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, as St. Paul says, so much that now he even boasts in his weaknesses, that when he experiences the imperfection and weakness within his own heart, it's then that he rejoices because he knows that it's precisely in being nothing that he gains his strength because God loves to pour out his mercy upon the lowly. So, mm. And that's what the crucifix shows us. Yeah. God became man, and in those, in those very wounds glorifies humanity. And we always need to recognize that those wounds that maybe we've caused ourselves, caused others, don't destroy us, but rather are an opportunity to, to engage, again, the great lover of humanity, which is God the Father, Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Guys, that's what we have on today's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a while, but we are back and rolling. We're back. Not to be confused with rolling. I'll see you later, guys. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Logos Podcast. And as always, you know what you want to say this time? God bless. I've been waiting for you to ask that. Let's go. Peace. <laughs>